So many people would think of the home a homepage for a website as like, okay, you know, we'll collect some data, we'll user test a little bit, launch a design, and then pretty much at that point, like we're done. Like, cool, we just launched that homepage, like that thing's ready to go. You know, maybe we'll do a couple A-B tests here and there, but that's pretty much it. Actually, for my team, getting up to the point to where we launched the homepage, that launch that we had at Inbound, that's about 25% of the work that we will complete on that page before we reach another large iteration. Hey, welcome to the UX and Growth Podcast. I'm Jeff, I'm a UX engineer at HubSpot. I'm Austin, I'm a UX designer at HubSpot. And I'm Matt, and I'm a growth engineer here at HubSpot. So today we're gonna talk about how you should actually prioritize what experiments you should be running. Uh, do you have existing data points that you can use to try and figure out what direction to head in, or are you just starting out and trying to adopt an experimentation process? But before we get into that, yeah. <laughs> we all just came back from Inbound 2015, which is HubSpot's annual marketing and sales conference, it was insane. Yeah, it was so good. Guys, yeah, you guys like it. Yeah, so this is my first inbound. Um, I know, Matt, this is your second. Austin, this was your first, too. Yeah. And um, I was uh, shocked, but also happy to work here when I saw Halligan uh, bust out his dance moves. <laughs> that was the best part. That was thousands sweet. and yeah. thousands of people. And I'm just like, that's who we work for. That's the guy who's driving this whole conference. He's a, he's a pretty good dancer. <laughs> he is a good dancer. I was impressed. Yeah. Better than I am, for sure. And then he, uh, he continued to dance throughout the rest of the week, which was great. Uh-huh. You just yeah. see him once in a while, you know, coming come to hang out with all of us on the, the other teams, and he probably stopped into tons of parties and stuff like that. So, um, but Inbound was incredible. Um, for all of you out there who have not come to an Inbound conference, you should absolutely check it out. Yeah. You learn a ton. It's packed full of amazing content, tons of great speakers. Um, we had Seth Godin start out uh, the first keynote this year. Oh, he's um, awesome. He's amazing, he's yeah. Such yeah. a good speaker. Yeah, and we had, um, we had Amy Schumer was the, the Inbound, Inbound Rocks, Rocks uh, yeah. celebrity that comes in. We usually have like a musical event, or this time we did comedy, and that was, uh, that was a sight to behold. That whole show was <laughs> just stupidly good. Um, yeah, Aziz Ansari. Ah, I missed him. We had, yeah, we had yeah, Aziz, we had Mark Marin. Well, we had the product engineering party the night before, which went until like 2 a.m. So all the engineers are out like getting <laughs> drunk, honestly. And, and then Aziz is performing the next morning at 8 yeah. a.m. Yeah. Yeah. No engineers went to Aziz, Aziz wasn't even having that. He was like, it is early. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it was, I, there were a lot of people who came in who were like very pumped. Like I, the cool thing about Inbound is, even though I missed Aziz, the Inbound 15 hashtag just had everything that I missed. Yeah. People are tweeting and, and writing every single thing that he said. Oh, yeah. So like, yeah. I didn't, That's true. didn't have to worry about that. So if fun, you didn't go, you could have just followed it. Exactly. Yeah. And fun fact about the, the inbound 15 hashtag is that was a, an international trend on Twitter. We were trending really? internationally for the duration of the conference. There, there were like mm-hmm. thousands and thousands, like over 20,000 tweets every single day. That's crazy. So yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Which is crazy because there were only 14,000 people there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So we got a couple like zealots out there just tweeting all day long. There was one individual that tweeted, 
over a thousand tweets with the inbound 15 hashtag throughout the course of the conference. Who? Let that simmer for a little bit. Do you know who that was? um, uh, I don't know who it was, but she had like 30 followers. (laughs) She deserves more. Twitter, you need more users like that. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) As we all do. So it wasn't just all fun and games for all all of us, though. Like we all were also working at uh, Mm -hmm. Inbound. Uh, most notably, Austin had the distinct pleasure of relaunching a redesign <laughs> of HubSpot.com and Inbound.com during the conference. How yeah, was that? That was an excellent experience. Um, it must have been stressful, man. Oh my God! Yeah, <laughs> I think so. I, you know, I mean, I don't want to harp on that one too much because I think stre- it, that Inbound was stressful for everybody in this room. Uh-huh. I mean, it's it's a super crazy time. It's the most important time of the year for our company. We had a lot of product launches, a lot of big things happening that were bigger than me, mm-hmm. you know, obviously. Um, but yeah, the launching those new sites was, uh, it's a really unique experience because, I mean, it's one thing to like launch a, a new site at all, but it was completely different to be <clears throat> uh, sitting backstage during the keynote, that's basically like, that's when we launched it is Halligan and Darmesh were giving their keynote speech, which they do every year and they're launching new products. And once they launched all of the products that were being mentioned on the site, we then pushed the new site live um, with the new homepage, the new pricing page. And those are the two highest impact pages on the site. So you're talking like millions of people seeing th- those pages every month. Uh, so yeah, that was that was a really cool experience, and so far the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive. The data is still obviously coming back; it's only been a couple days, so right. uh, we're still going to be looking into the performance and iterating on it going forward. But the cool thing about the design is that uh, you know with the the new UX processes that we've put into place and the new way that we're approaching these designs, it, it was already informed by a lot of data that we had collected. So we already know that we're in a pretty good spot because ultimately this is just an iteration mm-hmm. of the previous design that we had. So a few things that we that I think were interesting that we focused on like as we were going into this design, you know we. Uh, we collected a lot of qualitative feedback that was uh, centered around the messaging and the story that was being told on the homepage. And that helped us a lot in terms of, especially like the micro copy and the headlines that we were creating uh, within the content structure that we built, which was the second uh, piece that was super important to the design. And that was dictated more by uh, business goals that we had where we needed to create a multi-product homepage. So like for last year, we weren't quite a multi-product company yet, but as of this year, we are officially a multi-product company. And that had, that you know made some serious waves throughout the rest of the site. It's actually very difficult. I totally underestimated yeah. the process of going from like a single product company to a multi-product company. You have to change so many things and it's been pretty all encompassing. And as part of that, we, you know, this scalable design, uh, we found that like the best way to execute that uh, was to create a really, really unique grid structure. And the most convenient thing about that is that when we started the project, one of the asks that we had from our VP of marketing was to create something that had never been done in our space before. So. B2B companies classically do not have like the most inspirational design forward websites in the world. Um, They're usually pretty prototypical, pretty bland. So we were able 
to sort of take like these different user goals that we had, these different business goals, and then like this big sort of overarching ask to you know create something truly unique and bring it together in uh, a really interesting grid structure with a lot of different interactions and animations. Um, there's a few a few more that we're actually still working on rolling out yeah. that are that are really focused on like telling the story of HubSpot beyond just you know like. Um, the specs of the product and and the paths to conversion and everything like that we're really bringing together like that hubspotty message the emotion that you get like you know when you walk in the doors at this place that's something that we were trying to bring to the site all the way down to like okay let's actually buy this thing right yeah so yeah that was it, it was really an excellent project um, and getting to work on that and like launch it at Inbound at such a monumental event, you know, with record attendance, uh, incredible people speaking there, and really being a part of that was awesome. Yeah, I think it looks great too. It's really, Thanks. Really, really <laughs> yeah, cool it, does. it looks it looks really sweet. Everybody, go check out the HubSpot homepage. HubSpot.com. That's our CTA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So. Uh, can you speak, because our topic today, again, is like how do we prioritize what we should focus on yeah. with our experiments so that we set ourselves up for this kind of success. Mm -hmm. Can you speak a little bit toward like how you thought about that? Like did you start with the qualitative data or did you start by yep. looking at this mass of quantitative uh, data that you had? Yes. So that's that was a huge component mm -hmm. in the HubSpot uh, homepage process. and. Ultimately, because this is an iteration and it's not a, a full redesign or anything like that, um, we're a, we were able to use a ton of historical data uh, from previous iterations to help inform this one. And ultimately, a, a massive, massive amount of quantitative data is collected on HubSpot.com every single day. Yeah. Uh, and so actually, this project really began with a bunch of research that I started to do inside of the quantitative data that was collected before I came to this company. So um, the, the, really the process through which we arrived at the current design actually uh, was informed by data going back well over a year. Uh, and, and through different iterations to understand how different design changes impacted the experience that users were having and also the KPIs, mm. key performance indicators, That's that we were measuring on the site. Is, is there anything uh, you can share with that? Like, did massive departures from the old homepage like tweak things in the metrics that you didn't expect? Yes. So uh, we did have several massive departures that we tested. Uh, those were merely tests that we were verifying. Mm -hmm. um, because HubSpot.com has so much traffic, you know, millions of users every month, uh, we're dealing with a ton of data points and we can actually measure very, very precise, minute changes and understand, mm -hmm. you know, just by changing this, the copy on a CTA or the color or uh, the background image for something, uh, what kind of an impact that has on our audience. Uh, we can detect those very small percentage changes because we're dealing with a huge audience. That might not necessarily be the case for the majority of our listeners. They would probably want to make more radical departures because they're dealing with less users, less data points. Right. So it's, it's more difficult to detect those changes. But definitely uh, the, the, the radical departures that we did make help to inform the design going forward. But actually, if you look at the progression of the design over time, you'll notice that a, a lot of it was based on iterations, smaller micro iterations that we did. Um, and those were informed by blended quantitative and qualitative data. And a lot of the qualitative data, like when we when we think of qualitative data in terms of you know testing out a homepage or something like that, we think like, oh, you're user testing it 
Which is true, you know, like we're, we're putting the design out to users, like, you know, it, it all started with the existing design. Let's user test this thing, figure out what, you know, what's super important about this design, what could be removed, what needs to be added, what are the pain points, what, what do people feel when they look at this site? Uh, and so we were able to go off of that information and then also the massive amounts of quantitative data that was there. And ultimately the quantitative data helped to inform what we were testing qualitatively. Yeah. But as, yeah. That's cool. As we moved into the new design, however, you know, starting with SketchUp's wireframes, that type of thing, we began to test qualitatively with our users, but also qualitatively inside of the organization. So there were a lot of stakeholder interviews that were happening. We were putting the design in front of different individuals inside of the organization. I was you know, conducting interview after interview with everybody from sales reps, uh, you know, which the site is very important to them, all the way up through VPs. So uh, it was a very, very broad process that as we continued to hone in on the design became much more focused. So we went from, you know, the quantitative data helping to gauge like generally what we should be looking at with the qualitative stuff, mm -hmm. use that to hone in more and, and continue iterating on the design. And then at the end, what we were testing for were actually very, very specific potential weaknesses in the design that we had. And that, that testing was happening all the way up until the week before the launch of the homepage, you know? Um, so we were, we were backstage and we were like still make, you know, QA testing everything and making sure that it was perfect almost right up to like 15 yeah. minutes before we launched it. And so. you're not done, right? There's not done at all. Done. Yep, that's like that's the the most important thing about this project mm -hmm. is that especially because it's so high impact, um, the work is nowhere near done. Ever since I joined HubSpot, one of my missions with my team has been that you know we need to uh, consolidate our core pages into consistently maintained and optimized entities. So mm -hmm. basically, HubSpot is a gigantic site. Gigantic. It's like there's there's there are so many pages that exist that my team of four people effectively. You've got a, a UX designer and three developers, and then we do have a project manager. That's my team. Um, we we can imagine to maintain all of those consistently all the time. Right. So one mission that I've had is we need to pick what is our core site. Mm -hmm. And usually what that is, is it's like all of the top level navigation pages, like anything that appears in the top level nav or the dropdowns, plus the couple pages that exist in the user flow directly after those pages. So you're looking at anywhere from like 40 to 50 pages, yeah. basically. Um, and the idea with those is that whenever you know, a page is in that category, you're constantly iterating on it. Mm -hmm. Con you're constantly pushing forward. And the home page is the perfect example of that. Mm -hmm. So many people would think of the home a home page for a website as like, okay, you know, we'll collect some data, we'll user test a little bit, launch a design, and then pretty much at that point, like we're done, like cool, we just launched that homepage, like that thing's ready to go. You know, maybe we'll do a couple A-B tests here and there, but that's pretty much it. Actually, for my team, getting up to the point to where we launched the homepage, that launch that we had at Inbound, that's about 25% of the work that we will complete on that page before we reach another large iteration. Yeah. So yes, Matt, you're absolutely right. Because that is not only a part of our core site, but it's the most important part of our site. Mm -hmm. um, the work has truly just begun on that. So uh, now, 
what what we're at is like the best part in the homepage design cycle and that we're collecting real live data from our users. This thing is real. It's out there. People are actually using it. We don't have to create testing scenarios with a bunch of different potential variables. We can actually understand how people are using this thing in reality and use that data to inform the design forward. And in my opinion, that's the most critical part of the process. And it's usually the part that's overlooked. So absolutely. It's interesting. So it's not just prioritizing what experiments you should be running, but where you should be running them. What are yes. your highest priority pages? You need to know that. Absolutely. It's interesting. Yeah. And yeah. You, you touched on one of my favorite parts about working on in, in the UX and growth space, which is that there's always work for us to be doing. There's like there, It's a never-ending cycle yeah. because our audiences are constantly adapting, and we <laughs> need to adapt our pages to that. Um, that's super interesting. So at this point, I think we should shift gears a little bit. That's that's really interesting feedback about like how if we have all this existing qualitative and quantitative data, like how do we pivot and figure out what we should be working on, mm -hmm. what direction to go in. But what if we're an agency or a startup or someone who is just getting going, has some historical data points and is ready to adopt an experimentation process? Yeah. How do we think about in that case, like, okay, where do I start? What experiment should I run? Um, I don't know the name for it, but there's this process that we have on the growth team here at HubSpot. And what we do is, if we're just starting and we have like bigger problems to solve other than like micro iterations, things like testing like, what color of a button should we use? Like, right, that's a micro iteration. Th that's, it's like that's down the line, like we'll get to that. But if we're just starting, uh, we need to answer questions like, do we have product market fit? Is our pricing, uh, does it match up to what users are willing to pay? Is our marketing and messaging, does that like appeal in the right way to our users? Are we acquiring the right users? Questions like that. Yeah, big questions. Right. Ultimately, because the growth team is like a startup yes. inside of HubSpot. Oh, it's absolutely. really run like a startup. Yep, yep, so exactly. And so that's where we start. We, we start by like asking ourselves those big business questions that we need to answer about our audience, about our product, et cetera. Um, and we make a list of those questions. And then what we do is we put a priority number on each of those questions that we ask. Maybe figuring out our pricing is a number one priority. And then maybe like figuring out our messaging, eh, that's number two or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and so we create that list of questions. We do a brainstorm session, uh, prioritize them. And then we ask ourselves, can we run any qualitative experiments or quantitative experiments that will answer these questions? Um, and then we iterate through those. We try and figure out and find answers to those. and. By doing so, we're gonna adopt our pages. They're gonna um, they're gonna adopt to match like the results of those experiments. They're gonna change drastically. So we're not gonna be changing little things. We're gonna be changing big things. Like it may be an entirely uh, radical departure of a page that has completely different messaging. It's a completely yeah. different product in some cases. Uh, you never know. And then eventually, what we'll do is once we feel like we've gotten somewhere with that, and our conversions and our funnels are looking healthier, we're starting to feel like we have product market fit. Uh, we'll start to ask ourselves more specific questions. Mm -hmm. Like, what type of language should we be using in the messaging? Not the overarching like question of what type of messaging, but what specific language appeals to our users. Uh, what Eventually, what colors should we use that appeal to them? Mm -hmm. Do they like blue or pink? Uh, so you're what, sort of what funneling imagery? down. Yes, we funnel down from like this very broad, uh, like big picture questions that we want to ask, and then we get to the specifics in our iterations. Mm -hmm. And then eventually, once we need to reestablish a base and have like a redesign, we want to like pivot into a new direction, we have to start over. Mm -hmm. 
and we have to rebuild that base like you've done, like which is at the point that you're talking about. Now we have all these data points that we can look at. We know the state of things. We know how our audience is, ad- is adapting. And we're going to analyze that data and try and figure out what new direction to head in. And then we follow the process that you just described. Awesome. Right. Yeah. So I have a question for sure. you. Sure. When you are prioritizing the different opportunities and ideas that you have, is there a, like a methodology that you go through? Is, is that quantitative, you know, or like, do you have like some type of data behind how you do that? Or is it more gut feeling Mm -hmm. or is there a process, like maybe a a set of questions that you ask? How do you, how do you like prioritize those? Oh, absolutely. So you have to start somewhere, which Mm -hmm. is like just based on the historical data points that you have. You always bring in those historical data points into the context when you brainstorm these things. Just out of curiosity, what if you don't have any? Like, what if you're starting from, like, <laughs> that's total your, That's like your total number one scratch. priority, yeah. Okay, so, mm-hmm. like, just observe for a while? I don't know, like, yes. do you, okay. Absolutely, because if you don't have historical data points, you're not going to know what questions to ask, right? Right. So, eventually, what we'll do is, after we run and analyze every experiment, we'll recollect and we'll say, do we have any more questions that we can ask off of these results? Or does it change the state of some of our other questions? Like, what is what does this mean to the state of our organization? Okay, mm-hmm. I just want to backtrack for one second. Sure. We're using historical data points in this kind of like cryptic way. <laughs> what are what's an example of like a historical data point that you could use to bring um, into your process, like from mm-hmm. the very beginning? Like, what kinds of things would you would you just have lying around? Yeah. So the most important of which is. Probably traffic volume. Like you need to know. So knowing what you're at right now. Yes. Okay. Because that's going to also tell you like how you can actually design your experiments so that they're successful. Gotcha. Right. If you have low traffic volume, the whole thing with statistical significance, which I believe we're going to touch on in a later episode and in a deep dive. Uh, But if you don't have a whole lot of traffic, you need to do radical departures so that you can support those results. Uh, if you do have a lot of data, then you can test very specific weaknesses in your pages like Austin was talking about before. And you can find out, what if we take this like section of the page out and just that section? What happens? Right. You can answer questions like that. Um, so you need to know your, your traffic volume. Uh, you, and then the only other thing that's really, really important is you need to know your conversion rates. So you have to have some idea of what your funnels are gotcha. and how users are moving between those funnels. So it's like you, you kind of have to define some things ahead of time. Yes. Um, like your ideal funnel. So for example, like I guess if you're running a business you, or like an online business, for mm-hmm. example, where people pay you through the website, you could set up a, a, a basic funnel from like homepage to checkout page to and then just like get a sense of like where you're at. Mm-hmm. Now that funnel definition might change depending on what you do, but um, I think, yeah, that makes sense. It's like it's like historical data points in your context is like establishing a baseline. Yes. Like what are we trying to improve? Basically, what you're talking about is an MVP. That's like the whole idea behind an MVP, a minimum viable product, is let's get some context around this idea in terms of like hard, actionable right. data. And that's something that you don't have to be a startup to run an MVP. Yeah. That's something that, you know, well, we know. Keep in mind that MVP <laughs> has the word viable in it. <laughs> because you can make a minimum product and get a baseline and it'll yes. be crap. You know, yes. like mm-hmm. this. 
I'm not going to get into that because it's a whole episode. I have some strong opinions No, you're about totally it. right. You uh, have to be very careful about what you consider to be a minimum viable product and make sure right. it's actually viable. Right. Yeah. I think another good rule of thumb is you need to know what your actual KPIs are before you can start to answer these questions. Right. Yes. Yeah. If you don't yeah. know what you're trying to accomplish in the right. first place, it's just going to be a hodgepodge of crap experiments. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So there's some work that you need to do on what your business model is. You have to hit, like wire up all those events that you know, right. your historical data points. And then you need at least like a week or two to collect those data points, let them normalize, figure out the average rates of them, and try and actually learn what the state of your business is before right. you try and even like brainstorm any questions you have. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, you might be trying to improve a funnel that's already pretty good. Right. Mm -hmm. Or like, you know, um, one thing that have really got me was uh, like assumed bounce rate, mm -hmm. figuring mm -hmm. out like, oh, like people aren't really bouncing from our homepage. Like, that's not the problem at all. It's like, people are like, we're not, it's weird how the, um, uh, a misunderstanding of cause and effect can sometimes, you create assumptions that need to be proved, but you created the assumption, so you don't need to prove it, you're right, you know? Yeah. And like, uh, that, that's probably a, a third episode that we could come up, you know, <laughs> kind of some, some pitfalls around um, it, like experimentation and, and how you need to kind of check yourself yeah. before you wreck yourself <laughs> every time. The, um, just I imagine that, that, like you have this existing site, you have no idea what your data points are and you just wire them up. Everything's pretty good. We have like 90% conversion rate, yeah. like wow. Yeah, I feel like the odds of that are extremely low. Yeah, you know? that's true. Like getting a getting an understanding of um, norms too is yeah. helpful. Industry standards exist for a reason. Mm -hmm. um, some people adhere to them a little bit too tightly, but they exist for yeah. a reason. They kind of they they're like a baseline if you don't already have one. Mm -hmm. um, but it may not apply in all contexts. Yeah, you definitely have to bring it into your context. Matt, I think that your point about KPI definition is extremely important mm -hmm. because it's very, like, you could, you know, launch your MVP or whatever and collect data on it, and just like any data, like, I mean, Jesus, look at, like, political poll data, right. you know? <laughs> it's, it's very easy to manipulate data to have it tell the story that you want it to tell. Oh, absolutely. Um, so, you know, it's very, it would you could, on one end, like, you could just focus on a bunch of vanity metrics like I think Jeff I think you mentioned bounce rate right. and like 90% of scenarios that's a vanity metric mm -hmm. you know but people will still optimize for that but the major unless it's a landing page the right. majority of the time that's not even a metric you should be paying much yeah. closer attention to sometimes, behavior flow sometimes metric. bounce rate you want it to be high that's the yes. weird part is mm -hmm. you can't assume that metrics in being high or low mean or have any particular meaning attached to them automatically mm -hmm. um, for example Cora if your bounce rate is high, like they're getting the information they want, you know. If it's if it's Wikipedia, that bounce rate's probably super high. Mm, I don't yeah. go on Wikipedia and then just go like, oh, I'm gonna browse around now. Never yeah. ever. Why would I? However, retention is really high, and that's probably what they're shooting for. It's exactly. like, are people coming back to yes. visit the site all the time? So that's knowing true. what metrics you should be optimizing for. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, that's interesting. Uh, I believe Austin has to get going. He has a, he <laughs> yeah, has a quick thing. we were gonna cut that out, but no. Nah. <laughs> Austin, uh, Austin's got some other things to do, but uh, he definitely got his piece in early on for sure. So yeah, uh, don't don't worry. We're not gonna keep you up. Do your thing. All right, man. Uh, everybody, say bye to Austin. <laughs> bye. <laughs> yeah. We are back. Um, Austin so, disappeared. We're not sure how. Yeah, Austin just like he just like <laughs> osmosis through the wall and just out and away. Uh, so. Uh, so Matt, you got me thinking about um, how when you're starting early and you've got to move some big levers and you, you have some historical data points 
but you haven't really run any formal experiments and you have to start somewhere. Mm -hmm. And because you don't have this um, total understanding of where you should be moving, you just have a baseline. Mm -hmm. um, where do you start? Like what kinds of techniques would you use to, to get a handle on the, the things that are gonna move the levers in the future and you know what directions to go? Yeah, totally. So there's two good approaches that I have for if you're just, you just don't know what questions to ask. That's totally legit. Like, uh, it can be very difficult to come up with these questions sometimes. And even if you can't come up with them, can you run experiments that will answer them? Right. That's a whole nother thing entirely. Uh, so there's two things you can do. One, you can do user tests. You can run qualitative tests. And you can use the feedback as an indicator of maybe, like, everyone has this pain point. Maybe everyone that comes to my site doesn't know what this thing is. And so then you can say, huh, okay, that's interesting. Can we try and fix that? And you can brainstorm some experiments that can try and fix that, uh, iterate on them, and then run more qualitative tests and see if that's changed at all. Yeah. Uh, so that's one way you can do it. Another way is a pure uh, quantitative approach, which I call the scatter dart approach, which is you just change every possible thing on your page in multiple ways. Maybe you, maybe you have 10 modules on your page for like each feature. Maybe you take all them out. Or maybe you just change each one in a radical way, um, and then you just run one giant A-B split test between the control page as it was, and then this new page with all these things changed in it. And what you're essentially doing there is you're taking a handful of darts, and you're just throwing them all at the board, and you're hoping one of them hits the bullseye. And what you end up finding is either conversion rate's going to tank, it's going to stay about the same, or it's going to drastically increase, or anywhere in between, really. Right. Um, yeah, just uh, this makes me think though, like mm -hmm. what your definition of conversion is. Like, keep an eye on the KPIs too. Oh yes, because like, there's there are ways in which you can cheat that by doing this. Mm -hmm. You change something, for example, if your um, what do you call it? If your conversion rate is between hitting the home page and making it to a product page, mm -hmm. if you only have one product on that page, it's much more likely that people are going to convert because they can't do anything else. Right. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to purchase, which is why you got to keep an eye on your KPIs. Too. Yeah. It's like, you know, always have the KPIs and your retention, if you can measure it, on the back burner for every experiment. Yeah, that's, uh, that's very true. Note. Yeah. Totally. Uh, so with, with your KPIs in mind, like you should know what to analyze, et cetera. And what you do is if the experiment just completely fails and you don't notice a difference in conversion rate or conversion rate drops, then you do it again. And you just right. change every single element on the page in a completely different way than you changed them before, throw all the darts again, and hope one hits. And you just keep doing this until it does hit. Right. And this radical departure that you've created does increase CVR. Now you know something that you changed worked. And now what you have to do is you have to drill down and you have to individually A-B split test every single variable that you changed on that page. Oh, Essentially okay. throwing so the individual saying, darts. You're saying what you're, what you're doing is you're changing everything at once. Yes first yes and until you see something that works yes okay so and just then, radical departure after radical departure yeah. after radical departure until one of them and figure out which and then you figure out which one of those things had the most impact yeah yeah totally so an example I've, I've done this on the sidekick homepage before where we weren't sure if we should put feature modules on the homepage or not and so we just added them all on there at once and we looked to see what happened and conversion rate actually uh, decreased when we put them all on there and we had to figure out why, so we A-B split tested every single one. It turned out there was just one or two of the features that we put on there that was dropping conversion rate. Gotcha. So if we only put like the main core features on there, then conversion rate's gonna increase. 
But gotcha. it's, it's if we it would be a much slower process though if we individually tested all those right from the start. Right. And then it's cool. I wonder if you guys did this or not. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like, especially with feature modules, which makes it really easy to do this. You, when you're looking at the ones that decreased conversion rate, you mm -hmm. can then do qualitative testing to yes. see like what's wrong with these features, or what you know, even if they're good features, like why would they cause somebody to not want to convert? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, and that'll help you come up with questions that you want to answer because like the quantitative is always the what. Exactly. And the and the qualitative is the why, so yeah. that's why oftentimes qualitative is a good place to start. Maybe if you're trying to figure out what questions you have, right? Yeah, so that's like that's a huge difference. Like mm -hmm. if you're doing the scatter plot or scatter dart yep. approach, um, it's patented name by Matt Rowe, so, um, <laughs> you, you can use it. It's okay. okay. <laughs> um, if if you're using that approach, you it's easy to just continue doing that. Yes, without really taking into consideration what's happening or even understanding like if you, if you don't have any personas or any um if you haven't talked to your users at all it's like if you've read that well is it a book or is it just part of the 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 startup um experiment board but it's like get out of the building is mm -hmm. the idea is get out talk to real people yes. and if you don't have some of that um to to rely on you are kind of guessing your way through everything you know yep. if you have no understanding of who's coming in that's why sometimes when you're doing experiments, you need to take into account where the acquisition is coming from. Like, oh, do you know what your traffic sources are? Because those are going to do big things. Uh, those are going to those are going to change the way in which people interact with your your page just based on who they are. Mm -hmm. um, that that leads into why when you are building your list of priorities mm -hmm. for how you should be experimenting, you mentioned earlier that it kind of becomes a funnel. You you start with some really big levers that you have to move. And after you move those in the direction that you want to, you start moving smaller levers and smaller levers, and you start optimizing for things that depend on the first ones. If you change something at the top of that funnel, a lot of what you're doing at the bottom of the funnel becomes irrelevant. Or, yes, or not, I mean, not all of it, but Probably you need to. You, it becomes an assumption. Mm -hmm. You need to go back and check that stuff. Do you have a, Do you have an example of something like that? I'm thinking in along the lines of if you change, like, what's an example of one of the things that you talked about? Pricing structure or oh, yeah. uh, product? Yeah. If you change your product or you change your your audience, you know, if your personas change, like, hey, we started out um, selling to uh, selling B two B. We're selling the software B two B, but we realized that um, our audience is actually better for consumers, like personal use for this product. It just fits better. And selling to, to businesses, it, 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 it's not working as well for us. But all of our messaging is mm, yep. for businesses. Like and you B2B have all sales. those pictures of like business people shaking hands on right. all your pages, which you, I'm sure many of our listeners have. Right. Shame and on you. You've got this baseline that you worked with, and wow. you've started going down the funnel. And experimenting on smaller things, tweaking colors, tweaking um, you know flows and navigation, and uh, where the information is, and what kinds of things you're presenting in your messaging, and then you decide to change audiences, and your personas are different. Now all of that stuff farther down the funnel is an assumption. There's a very good chance that this new audience is not going to respond the same way. Maybe better, maybe worse, but not the same way. And you need to test it. Mm -hmm. Or pay attention, you know, if your funnels are in place, you can just leave them and just watch and see what happens. Um, but once you start moving the bigger levers, like your messaging and your 
um, your, you know, what kinds of personas you're working with, you're going to need to reevaluate. And some of these things farther down the funnel are, are going to change yeah. drastically because there is a progression. Yes. You can't start with the bottom of the funnel because you need the top to work with. Yep. That is your baseline. Yeah. And that needs to be very calculated. Right. Like what, what Austin's been doing with the homepage redesign, switching to a two products company, mm-hmm. that's exactly what we're talking about. And that's a highly calculated direction that they moved in. Whereas they spent months and months grueling over all their qualitative and quality and quantitative data points right. to validate that this is the right direction to move in and try and uh, hypothesize that things will work if they do it the specific way with their UX structure. Exactly. And so it's not like you should just run an experiment once you're like halfway down the funnel. You should just run a top level experiment. Right. It's at the top of the funnel. You, you should not do that. What you should do instead is say, okay, why do we need to change this? Is it is it like really important to our company and our internal structure, or whatever? Um, and you should then try and learn and analyze the current data points that you have to validate whether or not it can possibly work. Right. And then you rebuild your base, and you do like the massive departure, new homepage versus your control. See what happens for a couple of days. Take it down again. Tweak things. Put it back up, etc. Right. Exactly. An uh, example I can think of in terms of to, to illustrate this mm-hmm. this progression of um, y- your your progress in priorities with experimentation is you will you've probably experienced this quite a bit. You've seen uh, websites that suck. They're mm-hmm. awful, but you still not buy from them because what they've managed to do is their brand and their product and their persona they, they all work together. Mm-hmm. You want this enough that you're willing to to trudge through this terrible website in order to do that on the other side there are a lot of websites that look amazing mm-hmm. and these people are broke because their product they they don't understand what people they haven't like come up with a product that people want they haven't understood their their potential customer base yes, they have that's, that's the key point there yeah every audience is a hundred percent unique in right. their attraction to your brand right and you have to learn who those people are and right. what works with them so if you haven't if you haven't figured those things out yet mm-hmm. there's a lot less uh, focus that you need to put on things like your you know tweaking your site design and navigation and things like that you actually probably need a third of what you already have right now if you don't have a product that people want to use mm-hmm. um, because that's the biggest driver is being able to effectively communicate the value and effectively um, match yourselves with the audience that's gonna gonna most um, enjoy using or you know being you know your service or something like that mm-hmm. um, you you have to you have to be a hundred percent sure of this yeah totally like an example would be maybe you start a new uh, B2C company and as it turns out all of the, most of the audience at least in aggregate that are attracted to your website or who download your app maybe they all love mountain climbing and they love craft beers and they all only ever buy Adidas for their clothing right. like that's that's unique and if you know those things about them like those character traits right. that describe like the brands that they already like etc if you can test for that then you're gonna know what type of messaging you should, you should actually like put in front of them because you'll know what works. Right, 
And then once all that stuff happens mm -hmm. and you've, you've gotten that messaging in front, then you can do things like, um, do we save people's cart history in cookies because they're mm -hmm. more likely to buy? And that's, that, is a, um, that is a quantitative experiment. Mm -hmm. And that, whether or not you leave uh, items in somebody's cart between visits, it's not gonna change whether or not your product sucks. You know, like there's like, there's a clear progression. Yep. Once you know that people are even putting things in the cart, you know, what's, what's holding them up? Like, are they having trouble um, coming back to your site because they can't find where the login is? Uh, do they need more product information? Um, and it, like, are they more likely to recommend to their friends if uh, they are presented with something after they make a purchase or before they make a purchase? Mm -hmm. You know, is window shopping important? And those, those kind of things, um, are not step one. Those mm -hmm. kinds of things are like step five and six. After you've determined that you can get stuff into people's hands, you don't even need a website for that. You can just talk to humans and be like, try this. And if, if you're, you're able to convert in real life mm -hmm. and see the retention and see that people are happy with it, then you can start making these optimizations to make it easier, to reduce friction, yes. to make it more likely that people are going to get where they need to go, mm -hmm. but you can feel pretty good knowing that your product is not the issue at this point. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it, You're not gonna be able to, first of all, have the volume to run these quantitative experiments and to tweak these kinds of things and to reduce that friction until you get people in the door. Right. So that should be your first step. Yeah. Always. Right. Not, not always, like maybe <laughs> onboarding's like super critical to your strategy and you need solid onboarding before you can like start really like letting the masses flow in because you're maybe you're worried that you'll tap Facebook or something like that. Oh, you're talking but that's okay. like, that's, that's you, if you're in that situation, you know that you're in that well, situation. Well, like, so. like any new feature, any update, um, you should always test it on yeah. a small scale first to make sure that it's not totally broken Yeah, because that's the, that's the big thing. Um, in terms of, uh, statistical significance, you can see the big changes with a very small sample size. Mm -hmm. You can see those 60% drop offs, um, with a hundred people mm -hmm. because, that's, that's a huge difference. Mm -hmm. And something's probably broken in that case. But if you're trying to optimize for 5%, 6%, you need thousands and thousands of people. Mm -hmm. um, and that takes a much longer time to do that. But <laughs> the, the reason why you would even want to test on a small scale is to make sure that it doesn't majorly mess up everything. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to improve your onboarding, get 100 people in there, make sure they can get through it properly. Um, do some user testing, do usertesting.com or get somebody in front of it just make sure it's good to go. Mm -hmm. If it seems like it's working, it doesn't. Even if it doesn't move the needle that much, as long as it doesn't move it in a direction so much that you feel uncomfortable continuing, you know. Um, and that's where the qualitative helps too, is you can watch people struggle or not struggle, mm -hmm. um, and then you can compare to your control group and all that stuff, and then you release it to a much larger group. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm a I'm a proponent of of always starting small, no matter what, just to, to double check that you're not, you're not um, botching something. That's why, I, for anybody who's worked in a company where you have to release new things, you probably, if you look at somebody who's above you and you're like, I'm gonna release this, and they just look like they're sweating, like they don't, it makes them nervous, like that's, a, that's normal, because it's terrifying to do that because there's a lot of assumptions being made, one of which is that it's gonna work. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't work, and you didn't test it, it's now in front of everybody. Yeah, and you only get that one first impression opportunity. Right. So. So don't waste it. Yeah. So if you, you know, big audience or small audience, no matter what your traffic looks like, um, if you're coming up with something new, new feature, and you're gonna be doing qualitative testing, mm -hmm. 
um, or quantitative testing, sorry. If you're gonna be doing quantitative testing, start small. Yes. Start small and make sure that it's, you know, you're not gonna detect any significant, uh, statistical significance with it, but you can validate whether or not you've blown something up, you know? Yeah. And that's like a safety net. And then you just increase, and as you increase uh, traffic, over time, your the statistical significance starts to be uh, more and more and more and more likely. You're you're going to be more accurate, and if your your needle doesn't move that much, the more traffic you have, the better chance that you're going to be able to say that with confidence that it moved in that small amount. Yep, um, absolutely. Yeah. So, quick teaser into our next episode. We've we've touched on it a bit with statistical significance. We're going to do a deep dive into that in a future episode, probably next week. Uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, explaining everything around statistical significance and running quantitative experiments effectively. That'll just be Jeff and myself because Austin will be off in Brazil. Uh, not entirely sure exactly what he's going to be doing no. work-wise. If he's just going to like be hanging out with his girlfriend down there, or if he's going to be doing some work, maybe he can maybe Skype in for an episode. Like yeah, maybe he'll just go on a cruise. We'll see. <laughs> that just randomly happens sometimes. Yeah. Um, but a quick fun fact about statistical significance a lot of people oftentimes will say like, oh yeah, I wanna just A-B split test like this copy tweak or this button color or something like that. And realistically, that's gonna be less than a 1% increase in conversion rate if it's successful. And a little fun fact, if you wanna detect just a 2% increase, not even less than 1%, but a 2% increase, you with, need over 10,000 unique visitors. With 95% yes. confidence. Yes. Yeah. Confidence yes. being the other 5% could have happened randomly. But 95% of the time, it'll be a 2% increase. Don't give too much away, Jeff. <laughs> it's okay. We'll get into that. Yeah, well, we've got a whole 40 minutes or something like that to work with. So, yep. you know, uh, you'll, you'll be learned. Don't Absolutely. Worry. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. Well, we're going to take off now. Uh, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your day.